0: To eat hog confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary the revolution will not be televised so that was the late great Jill Scott Heron, uh, with the revolution will not be televised and it's kind of important to start with um, this sort of soundtrack because I think it's kind of a, a good pertinent message about how these changes that happen in society are usually ever really seen viscerally but sort of slowly happen under the surface So without further ado, here is my episode, Accountable Power, part two, part two. Yes. Hello, and welcome to the second part of last week's Accountable Power episode two. Um, Sorry it's a bit late to upload. I've had a bit of a busy week with work and stuff. Um, Yeah, so I'm kinda gonna sort of carry on with the kind of uh, streamer consciousness musing I kinda had last week. ...or two weeks ago, whenever it was. Um, so last episode, I was kind of highlighting the bad side of monarchy. So if you didn't listen to the last episode, go and check it out. Um, it'll be from the same place as this. Um, yeah, I kind of was talking about the bad side of monarchy. These sort of inherent rigid class structures it, you know, keeps in place in England. And these kind of things. Um, so, in sort of light of the last episode, I'm kind of going to focus this time... ...on sort of maybe some alternative systems we could have in England... If we were able to reimagine better systems in the country, um, I'm going to kind of start off first. Obviously, these last few weeks in England has been kind of a crazy leadership-wise. We had Boris Johnson who narrowly won a vote, vote of no confidence, um, which was bad news for me. Obviously, I don't like Johnson, but. Even kind of bad news for him, I suppose. is kind of a vacuum of leadership in England, I feel, at the moment. That was also compounded with more embarrassment for his government when they're uh, very controversial and kind of evil plans to deport all asylum seekers to Rwanda. No matter where these people come from, they're just going to get on a plane and drop them off in Rwanda uh, to be asylum seekers there, which is obviously super controversial and very um, short-sighted and just really actually bizarre kind of way to handle an issue. Um, Luckily, this was stopped by the European Court of Human Rights, um, which was great news. Um, I was very happy about that. It's funny because they're uh, the the Home Secretary. Yes, Home Secretary. The Home Secretary was promising early on that she was going to deport thousands upon thousands of uh, asylum seekers to Rwanda by May, the end of May. This ended up becoming only about 30, I think. Was it 13 or 30? Um, And even that then was then blocked by the European Court of Human Rights. For clearly being a breach of human rights, people shouldn't be just uh, shafted off into a different place, um, regardless of where they're from, and just dumped on Rwanda, who was going to receive a shit ton of money probably from the UK government, showing again the sort of vested interests of the financial elite and the corruption inherent in most governments, really. Anyway, so yeah, at the moment, England kind of has a vacuum of leadership, I feel, not very strong, coherent leadership, not very uh, directed towards a kind of goal. It's all very all over the place at the moment. There are those who are loyal to Johnson and then the backbenchers who are not. Um, So I think actually it's quite a good time to sort of think about different ways you could kind of imagine leadership and governance in the UK. Um, Yeah, so at the moment, England is currently ruled by a constitutional monarchy. Um, Just to start off this episode, actually, I'm going to kind of play devil's advocate with myself. Um, to sort of, you know, kind of challenge what I was saying last podcast. You know, there's no point to a royal family. I personally am a Republican in the English sense um, and favor a constitutional democracy or a republic um, rather than a constitutional monarchy. But I'm, to sort of play devil's advocate myself, I'm going to quote a personal hero of mine, Stephen Fry. Now, Stephen Fry is actually a supporter of the royal family. He's a royalist, which is quite surprising. He's very progressive and very intelligent um a very sort of fascinating man and i'm a huge fan of his work both his comedies uh he was a panel show on qi which was a great um you know kind of daytime tv kind of show in england um i think he's been in some great comedies as well um i think he's a brilliant mind actually i think he's a very good good guy uh but surprisingly he supports uh he supports having a constitutional monarchy um, which I suppose, you know, everyone has different political beliefs and stuff. You can go like people more well-rounded, well-roundedly. So, um, am so I'm going to be quoting from the express.co.uk here. The express is a trash paper from England, but they kind of had the more, the quote in full. I'll link these in my, uh, show notes on my website, but he was on the Jordan B. Peterson podcast. Jordan Peterson, for most of you who know, he's a complete sausage. He's an idiot. He's, um, I don't really know his appeal actually. I think actually when he first came out, I was quite a fan of Jordan Peterson. Uh, when I saw him on the Joe Rogan podcast, uh, I was probably an impressionable 23 year old and thought, "Oh, he sounds intelligent," uh, but actually, he really doesn't say much. I think all the criticism of him are very valid. He, you know, makes very simple things sound very, very complicated, which is always a sign of, um, you know, an idiot rather than an intelligent person. But you know, my p- opinions of Jordan Peterson aside, uh, he was on the Jordan Peterson podcast. Who? Um, they were talking about different things, I suppose. I didn't really watch the podcast. I'm just sort of quoting from here. I saw a clip of this. That's why I'm sort of bringing it up. But Stephen Fry basically said that one of the things that was noticeable, um, sort of in favor of constitutional monarchies, is that the happiest countries in the world happen to be constitutional monarchies. Uh, revealing his own belief, Stephen Fry admitted that the royal family, on the face of it, is, of course, preposterous, which I agree with but went on to explain how they can play a key role in society. The author referred to the Queen's weekly audience with the prime minister and suggested that the US could benefit from having a monarch. He explained how his thoughts stemmed from his belief in ceremony, ritual and symbolism. Mr. Told, Mr. Sorry, Mr. Fry told the podcast, I look at America and I think if only Donald Trump and now Biden, if every week they had to walk up the hill and go into a mansion in Washington. And there was Uncle Sam in a top hat and striped trousers. He explained how Uncle Sam might be the U.S. equivalent of a monarch and described him as a living embodiment of their nation. Mr. Fry added more important than they were there. That's the key. He, Uncle Sam, is America. The president is a fly-by-night politician voted for by less than half the population and he has to bow in front of this personification of his country every week. And that personification, Uncle Sam, can't tell him what to do. Uncle Sam can't pass this act and don't pass this act and free these people, give them a pardon. All he can do is say, tell me, young fella, what have you done this week? And he'll bow and say, well, Uncle Sam, He added how Uncle Sam might reply, oh, you think that's the right thing for my country? And then Mr Fry concluded, well, that's what a constitutional monarchy is. And of course, it's absurd, but the fact that Churchill and Thatcher and everyone had to bow every week in front of this something. Um, The author went on to claim that empirically, look at the happiest countries in the world. That's all you need to do. And they happen to be constitutional monarchies. He listed Norway, Sweden, belgium the netherlands luxembourg and japan as some of those happiest places who have monarchies right yep so his point basically is that um, empirically speaking the happiest countries in the world also tend to have constitutional monarchies which um i suppose he's selected a very select few countries there. i think and we're going to kind of break them down why i'm a huge fan of stephen fry um but i do disagree with him on this notion completely Um, Notably, I think first off, he didn't mention England in the list of happiest countries in the world, even though his main point was, oh, look at the happiest countries in the world. empirically speaking, they tend to have constitutional monarchies. He didn't mention England in that list that he was also talking about. England is not ranked one of the happiest countries in the world, um, probably because we're a miserable lot. And also because we have a very dated infrastructure. There's kind of a more prevalence of corruption in Parliament now and politics as a whole. Um, our welfare systems, our social systems have been completely eroded since the 70s when mass privatization, we've sold off many of our things that we used to have, railways, energy, uh, housing, our housing market is completely diminished and overpriced now. Um, So yeah, the basic infrastructure of England has declined poorly basically. Um, And to be fair, I don't think that's much to do with the Queen actually. I think that's probably more to do with um, this sort of neoliberal infiltration um rather than the queen herself but i would also say another thing okay so i kind of agree first with this notion of ceremony tradition symbolism and ritual being a sorely forgotten importance in our societies i do kind of agree with that a little bit i do think there is um i i personally am an agnostic i'm a you know progressive i think in some ways i'm left-wing um i definitely believe in I'm probably more sliding wall with anarchist and, you know, decentralized governments and stuff more than anything. But I do think there is um, there is a role for tradition in society. This has probably more been shaped by my... I've lived in Asia for the last almost decade, actually. Um, and I've kind of come from a very atomized place, England. And I've seen the kind of the power of community collectives and the role that family plays within those community collectives in Asia, actually. I was a very, um, I was probably an anti natalist when I was younger. I'm definitely not now. Um, I'm having a family one day. So that's, you know, that's happening. But um, I do definitely think that we've kind of under, in the West especially, we've kind of undervalued the, the fact of tradition and sort of uh, structure a little bit. Um, and yeah, a little bit like this. I think ritual is also kind of important as well um, to sort of. I can't really explain yeah, why I think that is actually... It's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I think the, the notion of ceremony, tradition, symbolism and ritual being a sorely forgotten importance of our society. I can agree with it a little bit to an extent. I can't really explain why. I definitely think tradition may be more so than symbolism and ritual. But anyway, I'm digressing. Um, but I don't believe monarchy is the way here. I don't think these really have to do with monarchy. For example, let's take one of the countries you listed there, which is Japan. Now, Japan has a long history of tradition and ritual. Um well-known. I mean, it's very, you know, entrenched into their culture. Um, this probably contributes to happiness in some respect. They have a lot of uh, purpose-driven rituals there. They really aren't a family. They value hierarchy and stuff. Um, I'm not so much a fan of hierarchy as much as the ritual of kind of, um, yeah, you know, paying your dues to your family, making sure that you're as a support network all the time. Um, and a long history of tradition. Obviously, Japan is a very traditional country. Um, very, uh, you know, very historic, very old thing. And there's a clear lineage from the past to the present and the kind of sacrifices that have been made in the past to get to the present. And people really value these sacrifices. It's very important in Japanese culture. And I think that's probably definitely sort of some part to their global happiness. But not just that. Let's be honest. Japan is also a very filthy rich country. Um, they've, they've, They've manufactured a lot. They had a huge boom in the 80s. They um, are innovative in technology. They're always on the forefront of technology and uh, even creative, like art, design, like the anime, manga world, for example, is a huge multi-billion dollar industry that has influenced all parts of the world. Their video game industry as well, another huge part from Software, which is my favorite game developer, also from Japan, they've made some incredible games. Elden Ring this year, Bloodborne, Dark Souls, all those kind of great gems. Um, so I think you know, there's, there's probably a multifaceted reason why Japan is one of the happiest countries in the world. Tradition and ritual, sure, I can agree with that. I think there's definitely a, a historic precedent they've had um, where they've paid their dues, they believe in the value of sacrifice and they believe in the, the, the value of honor and integrity and they have a strong familial value. 100%, I definitely think that um, Japan's sort of conservative, conservatism works to their advantage, for sure. And, but I don't think it's just that. I also think they're very innovative. They're very creative. They put a huge emphasis on sort of uh, honor and discipline and hard work, which is always good, I think. Not too bad. I mean, they also have a very high suicide rate. So I think Japan is, um, you know, happiest to some extent, not completely. Um, but yeah, anyway, I think all these things uh, he was going to take with a pinch of salt. Anyway, his other countries he mentioned, such as Norway, Sweden, um, Netherlands, etc. These countries have a ro- very robust socialisation and, um, you know, socialise sorry, socialise of their national services. They have a very strong welfare system. Even Norway, for example, a Norwegian prison is arguably better than just a standard apartment in um, the Central African Republic, for example. Um, they very they take very good care of their citizens. They've got a strong welfare system, and there's a huge net so you rarely ever fall through. I think that's more to do with their happiness than I would say the the queen. I think the fact that they have a tangible um, security net, they have paternity leave, they have rights, they have unions, they have a lot of paid leave. Um, and also they are, you know, stupendously wealthy as a country as well. That is also a factor in their happiness. The same could be said with the Netherlands to a probably lesser extent. They're very progressive, very progressive country. They also have a very strong social welfare system. They also have... Um, you know, a very strong lineage of democracy and liberty and freedom of speech, etc., which also contributes to happiness as well, I think. The fact that someone could be freely expressive, and if anyone's been to the Netherlands, you'd know that it's a very expressive place creatively, and sort of people there seem a lot happier. But again, I doubt that's really much to do with the Queen. I think it's more to do with the fact that, you know, their their social norms are very progressive and forward-thinking which I think enables the individual to feel a lot more liberated and free. Um, Yeah, one thing you didn't notice was some other countries who have uh, constitutional monarchies, notably Thailand, I would say. Now, in Thailand, for most of you probably know, the king there and the royal family as a whole is very revered. Um, But I wouldn't say Thailand. I mean, the Thai people are very happy themselves. But their country is facing many social ills and it's rife with corruption. There is no social welfare net there. If you don't have family or a network and you don't have a job or money, you are homeless and you have to beg on the street for money. for anyone that's been to Thailand as well, you'd know that Bangkok has a lot of beggars and homeless people, for people who have just slipped through the cracks and there really is no way out. Um, Thailand also has a very high wealth inequality, a high index of wealth inequality. So for some Thais, life is very easy and very happy. But for some Thais, life is very hard and very stressful. Now, I would say with Thailand, I do think their monarchy is a lot more wrapped up in religion. Um, They're kind of um, inseparable, a lot more entangled than I would say the Western countries. And Thailand is a very Buddhist country, very devoutly Buddhist country. You'd be very hard pressed to meet a Thai person who isn't Buddhist. Um, They are very... And I think actually buddhism as a whole definitely impacts someone's views on the world they definitely believe in reincarnation for example they believe in karma so generally people there act good to one another not so much because of the uh, all-loving omnipresent omnipotent king of thailand but probably more so because of their beliefs in buddhism which again are kind of linked to the the monarch there but as the times going on thailand is very 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 overwhelmingly starting to speak out against their monarch their latest king now who i can't pronounce his name so i'm not going to make a titter of myself but him there now isn't very popular and he's faced widespread widespread protest and dissent from across the, the board from thai people um yeah so i think you know it's interesting He didn't mention thailand i would say thailand's actually quite a happy country but i wouldn't say their happiness is at all linked with the royal family monarchy probably more to do with buddhism and their belief in karma reincarnation and those kind of factors as well more religious but i suppose you know royal families are kind of they are endowed with us from god they are the voice of god so maybe it's kind of hard to sort of separate the two but anyway i digress i disagree with Stephen fry mostly because of this notion that the royal family he's empirically linking oh okay these countries are happy um he doesn't actually list all the countries with monarchies he just lists the 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 actual few that are happy countries. But I doubt that happiness is really from having a constitutional monarchy as much as to do with having progressive social uh, politics, social welfare systems, and really sort of like freedom of speech and encourages expression and these kind of things, which actually all the country did, do, do have. Um, I doubt it's to do with the monarchy very much. Um, so, anyway, kind of going back now to the original issue at hand, sort of different systems England could probably have. I'm just going to kind of spitball and just sort of free flow what I could imagine England doing better at if we got rid of the constitutional monarchy. So, as I said in the last episode, the Queen probably hasn't got long left. She is facing, uh, she's old as shit. Um, I don't really wish death on anyone at all. So I'm not going to say I, like I hope the Queen dies soon. But I think after that she does pass, it is time to have some conversations about where this constitutional monarchy is going forward. Do you know what I mean? Her support uh, for her is very high, but the support for the royal family as a whole is quite low. Um, For example, her son Charles doesn't have very high approval ratings. His son William... uh, has more than him he has more support probably because he's younger and he's got more of a like, young family socialite you know cosmopolitan edge to him a little bit more um but let's just assume that charles gets the throne the queen dies charles gets the throne um his approval rating below then i think we did then a sort of um a survey to find out what is the approval rating for the the royal family to carry on forward I would guess it'd be pretty low actually. Um, so I think we've got to kind of think about what will we need to have instead. Now with COVID happening, um, I think COVID showed one very important thing that, that not just England needs, but maybe the whole world needs, is it shows the necessity of a state. Now this is something that Thomas Hobbes put forward a few centuries ago was it two centuries ago or three centuries ago? Two or three centuries ago. Thomas Hobbes, famously the kind of, he's the the father of political philosophy, a lot of people say, because he was the first really to say like as how the importance of a state is. The state being an institution that governs everyone. Um... He kind of was on writing this during a time of English civil war and with revolutions happening all over the world. Very unstable world. Anyway, Europe as a whole at the time was very unstable. Um, And he was basically talking about the importance of a state. A state above anything else is very important, um, no matter what that state is. Now, he can take this to extremes. A lot of people take Hobbes' views to take that state could be a dictatorship or it could be a very progressive you know, la, la la la, fairy one. But he said it doesn't matter what it is. The fact that there's a state for the whole public to coalesce around something that supports the public, something that the public can rally behind or rally against. Anything that is an idea, a position to define themselves against is important. We can't have a stateless society. That's what Hobbes posits. He thinks that would bring chaos and misery and destruction to wherever it happened probably thinking more like the dark ages and this kind of obviously as he wrote this in the civil war i think he saw a civil war the stateless of england and everyone was acting like barbarians stealing from each other killing each other crime was rampant there was no law and order there was no order basically it was chaos um so he talks about the necessity of a state from this point of view and while I don't agree with sort of the extremities of his view, uh, a state at all costs, I do think that with COVID sort of bringing it into the you know, 21st century, there is definitely a necessity of state. Um, now, what this state takes the form of is very loose. I'm not really sure exactly what I would like. I think one thing that I would like to see in England for sure is um, a decentralized state, more of decentralization. Um, I definitely favor the more anarcho-syndicalist sort of approach where things are very localized, very community-based, and very collective, where we kind of have, uh, yeah, just more decentralization, less centralized power, move power away from parliament, um, and move more to localized, you know, municipalities or something like this. For example, I think that localized areas should be able to have the autonomy to decide what they do with their area and not get instructions or funding from top-down institutions. I believe that the taxation that people pay in their local area should directly benefit their local area. Right now, our taxation system in England is kind of weighed up that all the money goes straight to Parliament, and then that money is wasted on campaigns, is wasted on things like these fucking bogus COVID contracts they had, giving mates contracts. It's rife with corruption. I think that we had it more. The, the The game was rigged a lot more fairly the taxation would really just affect people in the area and sort of their local, you know, the, what what they're doing in their local area and stuff, I think would make a lot more difference. People have a lot more um, respect and care and when they can see tangible difference in front of them on their doorstep, um, I think there's a lot more support then for local governments and sort of having decentralized forms of power. Now this would obviously still have a state to some extent, There could probably be sort of a federal state, similar to the US, like a sort of federal system, or Germany, um, where a federal government or a federal state, which would be elected as well. And this is actually another thing about the Royal Family, it's very bad. So, sorry, dancing around points a little bit here. Um, This is the problem with the uh, unscripted podcast, I think. My brain always... Holds different thoughts in. Sorry. But uh, the House of... In England right now, we have a thing called the House of Lords. Now, this is a completely unelected group of people. I mentioned on the last podcast now. But this uh, these Lords are unelected people and they do have a lot of power. Now, obviously, Stephen Fry and his thing, like, oh, the Queen says you can't... You, the Queen doesn't say you can pass this act and you can't pass this act, blah, blah, blah. Which is true. She hasn't actually to stop the law from being passed i think since the 50s i believe officially but that's not the point that's not how it exactly works there is the house of lords which operate under an apparatus of they're unelected people um which straight up and they have the last say in uh, in in parliament now sometimes this can be good and sometimes this can be bad there is times where for example they will um the house of lords will really pass very cruel bills and ensure that, or, or or stop very good bills from happening basically um which is complete bullshit there shouldn't be anyone unelected in parliament especially house of lords which has always been a point of controversy in england um but yeah and also not only that the royal family also have influence and power they have the cash for access scheme which i mentioned on a couple of episodes later where basically people were paying for dinners or spots at a table uh, so they could rub shoulders with the royal and the political elite um, so this is the problem there. I think that we should always have accountability and voting, and also not just voting. There should be term limits, and there should be pledges and promises that if they are not pro- they are not made or met, then they instantly face re-election. If they cannot do this, then they have to fight re-election. That would encourage people to form more alliances within politics, which I think is a, a route for good because I'm promising this thing, you're also promising that thing in your constitution. No, sorry, constitutions are your constituency. Um, so maybe our constituencies can sort of work together here and we can pass this bill together, do you know what I mean? Sort of collective empowerment within politics as well. I think these sort of checks and balances, there needs to be a lot more in in government. There isn't, I mean, England at the moment is fucking chaos for this sort of stuff, but I digress again. I think a federal government, a sort of state-level government, which would enact laws that we all agree with, for example, no murder, you know, uh, stealing is bad and these kind of things. Um, The federal laws, I think, would also be have to decide maybe by the Supreme Court, who then could probably get elected as well. I think that politicians like the American system shouldn't choose Supreme Courts because that always falls into the trap of having bipartisan Supreme Courts, which, uh, sorry, partisan Supreme Courts, which we have in America now with the recent overturning of Roe v. Wade and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I definitely believe in like a federal government at state level, but in a more localized level, decentralized power that uh, local municipalities and local areas get a lot more power and autonomy in deciding what they want for their future. Um, Another thing I think we need to start figuring out more is an alternative to capitalism. Now, I think there's a big dichotomy in society at the moment with capitalism versus socialism. And while I'm neither, actually, I don't think I'm either a socialist or a capitalist. I can see the benefits of both for sure. I think capitalism definitely encourages i i'm I'm a big fan of commerce and trade i think commerce and trade is good i think that unregulated markets are bad i think privatization is bad i think when you put public services into the um the hands of people who just want profits it always goes wrong there hasn't been an example where that's ever been proven right prices never get driven down they only get up and monopolizations happen and then there's really nothing you can do to change so I'm, I'm against sort of the whole free market principle. I'm a lot more for a regulated market. But I do definitely like the ideas of innovation, commerce and trade. I think they're very good things of human ingenuity that have sort of definitely driven a lot of things forward. I don't think we should scrap that. Uh, with socialism, I think socialism, again, at the problem with socialism is a little bit that there is too much of a centralized state. And the centralized state gets more power, which I actually think centralized state should have a less power. But I do believe in the socialization of uh, healthcare, of education, of public services, of transport, of energy, of these kind of things as well. I think they should be owned by the public. I don't think they should be in the hands of um, anyone, any company or any political entity. I think they own, they are the public's service. So therefore they are owned by the public, funded by the public through tax and stuff. I think always for that 100%. Now, if there's a way that we could kind of fuse these together in a perfect saying, I think that'd be good. Like I said, with the happiest country, Stephen Fry, met. Um, these countries that he mentioned have a very high um, sort of like socialization of their healthcare, of their education, of their basic infrastructure, transport, etc. And I think that's not a bad thing. I think we should have more public ownership of our services. Um, but sort of just talking about more alternatives to capitalism, the sort of thing I would probably, again, I mentioned I'm kind of leaning more to anarcho-syndicalism, which would basically give unions more rights and representation in government, which would basically give more um, government, uh, sorry, communities uh, more elective control and more control over their own area. I'm more in favor of this. I don't think we necessarily have to get rid of everything else. Um, There's obviously big things to sort of think, like how would global trade work in this thing? How would war work, for example? With war, I'm kind of a... I don't know, I think we should... I think England... England has a very strategic advancement with war, and that is that we're an island. I think that we should build up our defense so that we really can't be fucked over. And that we really should just build it up more so for... Um, yeah defensive purposes we have an island that shouldn't you know we can stop invasions we can put ships around it we can build up our air force all these kind of things that could help and then we should really pivot ourselves towards more pacifist less interventionism like we've been doing in the Middle East after the disastrous Tony Blair led fucking invasion of Iraq which was probably the stupidest thing that I've ever seen in my lifetime um we should avoid these kind of things at all costs for sure we should definitely sort of back people in fights for example the ukrainian versus russian thing now we should definitely offer aid and guidance and intel to ukraine i'm all for that but probably less so arms and um you know sort of risking a proxy war with a nuclear power i think is not a good way to go um ukraine are obviously fine for their autonomy and uh you know democracy which i'm fully for and support against the Russian invasions. Who are being imperialist? Russia are the imperialists here. Although tankies online tend to disagree that Russia isn't imperialist. It's only America and England that can be imperialist. They're very naive. China is also undergoing a lot of sort of economic imperialism, I would say at the moment, um, which actually I'm kind of doing a video series on at the moment as well. And uh, Russia is also undergoing a very sort of, well, as I mentioned in my Russian video, sort of very nationalistic, yeah, they're kind of furthering their nationalist agenda. They really want to pivot the Eurasian ideal, which was popularized by Alexander Dugin. which if you haven't seen my video, The Men Behind the Curtain on YouTube, go and check it out now. Um, yeah, so I think they're kind of, they're doing this, they're sort of advancing their own sort of weird ideology. At the cost of thousands of innocent lives in Ukraine, which I'm completely against. So I definitely support Ukraine. But I would say that I think England needs to take a lot more less of an interventionism. Sort of just roll back our power. I think England's very scared of letting go of its power in the world. We went from an empire to really not only many countries. And now we kind of have a financial uh, seedy empire, which is often used through um, places like the Virgin Islands or these tax havens that a lot of rich corporations use and oligarchs from corrupt countries. They use these and they use them for nefarious reasons. I think we should get rid of that. And I think we should uh, really just sort of roll back all our powers actually and just sort of really just concentrate on home a lot more. England has always had this problem. They've always looked to expand and grow outwards without leaving anything really of depth in England. For example at the peak of the empire like say the early 20th century england was full of slums and crime and disease and filth everywhere yet we were seen as this golden empire that took on the world this majesty this kind of like fucking westeros kind of not Westeros what's that nice place in Game of Thrones called I can't remember but that kind of vibe we were kind of the rest of the world had and then when anyone else from the world would come to England they'd be like what the fuck you guys live like fucking tramps man which was true and I think now we still have this same problem we're very lucky to expand and we're very obsessed with increasing power abroad and our, our perception of power then we kind of forget to really take care of people on the home front um there's a good quote alike that it's kind of as big as the ocean as deep as a puddle it's kind of england i think with his empire and stuff we don't really build up our own thing which i think we need to start doing a lot more just roll back just fucking let countries be you know just let's stop intervening and shit obviously we have a good network of intel which is very powerful and a good bargaining tool i'd be down for that i'm down for intel in other countries not cia level shit where we actually get involved in politics i'm talking much of very just like We are just collecting intel from countries that we can maybe use as bargaining chips if the, you know, if an invading force needs to be. While we just build up infrastructure in England, a very non-violent approach purely through intel, which is very naive, I think, to actually think about. But fuck it, I don't know. I'm very much more favoring like a very defensive policy in England. I'm definitely for like uh, disarming nuclear bombs. I think England is a very good position for that. I would say England and France more than anyone. I don't think Russia and America are in a good spot now to say, oh yeah, we claim disarmament from nuclear bombs. Um, But I think England and France comparatively are. I don't think anyone's looking to nuke England. I mean, if we actually just made the stance that we are completely disarming now, we have the ally of America who does have the nuclear bombs um, to sort of back us up, I suppose. Um, But I think it would send a powerful message of sort of a commitment to a more safer future for our children. Uh, the, the message would be more important than the actual and the fallout I would say. I don't think if we just said, you know what, we're gonna disarm all our nuclear bombs now, we're done. We're sick of having nuclear submarines in the North Sea just pivoting each other. They cost fucking millions a year to maintain. We're not gonna because we're not gonna use them. If we use them, then we're literally signing our own, our own death certificate, basically. So it's really just a pointless thing to have. It's like having a loaded gun to your head. And everyone's got loaded guns to the head and also pointing guns at each other. It's kind of like if we just stop pointing the gun and drop the gun from our head, it's kind of like a bit of relief, you know? Like, okay, we're kind of out of this now. You guys can have your dick measuring competition with your bombs and shit, whatever, but we need to start refocusing on stuff in England a lot more. England's going down the shit. It's going down the drain very fast. Corruptions took over and the mass sell-off of everything. Brexit was a disaster. All these kind of things we've kind of just... We really need to sort of get on the home front now of... Focusing on our ideals a lot more. What do we want to be as a country? How do we see ourselves going forward in the future? Um, Yeah, I think we need a lot more self-determinization. Self-determination. Oh my God. I'm very bad at pronouncing words today. It's actually nine in the morning here. So apologies. Um, Anyway, just sort of round up. I'm not going to do a long episode today. Um, It's Saturday. I need to do my laundry and stuff. But... Just talking about republic and democracy, what would be better for England? I think a republic would be better for England as uh, there's more power for the individual citizen. Hence why I'm a republican. Um, democracy, obviously, I think more democracy is always good. I think republic is a good way to re- to further more democracy, more collective, more localized democracy as well um whereas in just traditional democratic systems laws are made by the majority and if you watch my video the tyranny of the majority on youtube <clears throat> you would see why this has its own problems the majority often vote for interests in uh, so often vote for things in their interests and often um ignore the interests of the minority so i think um the tyranny of the majority is a very pertinent threat in politics democratic politics and stuff um, Whereas in republic systems, laws are made by the elected representative of the people. And in democracy, the will of the majority has the right to override the existing rights. Now, I definitely think that, okay, republic systems where, you know, elected representatives, they are corruptible for sure. But I think we need more checks and balances on uh, elected representatives. For example, I think pledges and commitments need to be met after a threshold. If they are not met, there is a recall, there is a re-election, And if they succeed again, then whatever. If they don't, then they're out. Uh, which I think would foster more alliances within politics. Collective action within the political system is always a good thing. Um, But I think overall, I would favor more of an anarcho-syndicalist, localized, decentralized power for sure. I think the internet has shown us one thing. It would be that decentralized power um, and sort of not having a top-down implementation of things is very powerful and beneficial for all. That's it. Very good. So that's a bit of a short episode. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was kind of just finishing off my sort of musings from the last one. If not a monarchy, then what else? And I hope this one I've kind of give some broader ideas about what England could do. I think we need to start reimagining things a lot more rather than just focusing on the, the good of constitutional monarchies. I think we should actually start focusing on other systems. And in a few years, I think this debate will go on a lot more. I think we need to start thinking about what we want to be as a country rather than how we are now. Um, just some updates just to end off here. I'm working on a video series at the moment on, uh, China and Taiwan, which I think it should. I mean, the first video will definitely be released by the end of this month, uh, end of June. That is, um, 2022. Um, and then there'll be a few videos on this and I'm doing a kind of series on China. I've kind of gone down a China rabbit hole in similar how I did with the Russian one. Uh, But I will be releasing the videos more episodically. I won't just release the Man Behind the Curtain. Sorry, the Men Behind the Curtain video was an hour long and it was good. But I think I'm going to break it down so it's more easy to watch. You know, like, um, you know, try and get those views up, baby. Um, Thank you to about the 10 people that listen to this (laughs) all over the world. It's quite interesting to see where people listen to. I've got listeners in Colombia and Germany and America and sweden uh which is cool that's kind of interesting um yep so i'll keep you updated for everyone else follow my twitter at hi underscore coop um, for any updates and stuff and until next time thank you very much